Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. The aim of the podcast is to give you usable content for you if you're a health and fitness enthusiast or for your clients if you're a health and fitness professional. With different points of view and a little bit of fun, we break down information to give insights that empower and hopefully inspire through a lens of longevity and pain-free living for everyone. So stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome to the DCS Fitness Education Podcast. On today's show, we've got Patrick McKeown. Patrick is an expert when it comes to all things breathing. He's written seven books, produced four DVD sets about the Bateco method. His latest book, titled The Oxygen Advantage, enhances sports performance by improving functional breathing patterns and applying unique breath hold exercises to simulate altitude training at sea level. Patrick's a clinical director of the Bateco Clinic International and chairman of its advisory board. He also created the Sports Mask, which is designed to improve breathing efficiency and respiratory muscle strength, as well as the Bateco Belt for improving functional breathing for health. He's been featured on the BBC, Men's Health, McCola, TED Talks, Dr. Oz Magazines. The, the list goes on and on and on and on. So let's have a little listen and stay tuned. Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. I'm Ben McDonald and we are live. We are live with the main man when it comes to breathing and all things like that is Patrick McEwen from the Oxygen Advantage. How are you, Patrick? Good, Ben. Thanks very much. That's a great introduction, so it is. Can't beat that one. <laughs> and we could talk about like all the stuff that you've done in the industry, your experience and your background, but that's all going to go in the uh, in the, the podcast description, links to yeah, X, Y, and Z. You know how it goes, my friend. Okay, so let's just dive straight into it. Question number one, my mate. In your book and in your course, you talk a lot about nasal breathing, and I've, I found this super interesting. So mm -hmm. what are the main benefits of nasal breathing, one, for adults, and two, for children? Okay, so for adults, probably oxygen uptake in the lungs is increased. If you breathe through your nose, you're carrying the air deeper into the lungs. And if you breathe through your nose, you carry nitric oxide from the nose into the lungs. Nitric oxide redistributes the blood throughout the lungs, and nasal breathing redistributes the air throughout the lungs. So the gas exchange, the amount of oxygen that passes into the blood, the pressure increases by about 10 to 15% just by nasal breathing. Wow. So this was first noted back in 1988. And there's also another thing. There's so many different benefits to nasal breathing. The more you look into it, <laughs> and, you know, the, more, the more you see. In terms of slow breathing, activating the diaphragm, diaphragmatic movement is essential for functional breathing. Functional breathing is essential for functional movement. So if one is using upper chest breathing, their functional movement is going to be impacted. And of course, if functional movement is impacted, greater risk of injury. I suppose people think about nose breathing and mouth breathing during running and they're saying, I'll never do that because the air hunger is going to be too much. But if you stick with it, if you stick while doing physical exercise, breathing through your nose, your fitness will surpass and I would say six to eight weeks. And ventilation, I know there's one paper that came out last year, 22% less ventilation. So that's 22% less energy expended on supporting the breathing muscles. Is that if you're breathing through your mouth? Is that if you're breathing through your mouth? Through your nose, yeah. So your breathing is slower and you don't need as much air 
to attain a given intensity. But it's sustained practice. If you just get a group of athletes today and you say, okay, guys, now you're going to switch to nasal breathing, they're going to feel an impediment because there's an extra load. Like it's the same as anything you do something at for first. There's always that kind of learning curve. And the body has to get used to the, the increase in the changes in blood gases, the increase of CO2. But after a few weeks, it does. And that's when exercise intensity and endurance. Like I'd say it's a great one for endurance because if you can get by with 22% less ventilation, your breathing muscles are less prone to fatigue. You're not wasting as much energy just supporting the breathing muscles and recovery and everything else is better. Beautiful, mate. I, I, think, I think I've thrown you a little bit of a curveball here with this question because there's that many different benefits to nasal breathing. It's like me crazy. I think the list could go on and on and on and on. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, so many different facets. And even with children, as you were at, like your question is, any child that mouth breeds, they're not reaching their full potential. You know, the, the first thing that I would say was if, if the nose is stuffy or the, if the child or adult is mouth breathing, Normally, we see it with kids as their sleep is impacted. So not just that they may be snoring or maybe stopping breathing during sleep, but their concentration the following day is, is very much affected. So academic ability and ability to focus and concentrate. Mouth breathing will have a negative impact on that. And if the child is sleepy, they've got 10 times the risk of learning difficulties. So these kids who have, have difficulty concentrating and people might say, well, they're a bit slow on the uptake. These kids mightn't be slow at all. These kids have mouth breathing habit and their sleep, they're not getting a good quality sleep. Anybody who's not getting a good quality sleep, there's no way you focus. And the first thing I would say about sleep quality, and it seldom gets mentioned. If you read any of the, the books that are out there about improving sleep quality, they'll talk about sleep hygiene. They'll talk about getting decent hours of sleep, about having no noise, about total darkness, cold bedrooms, this, that, and the other. And very few talk about nasal breathing. And I think it's nasal breathing that's the key part there because it's been shown you breathe through your mouth, your sleep is lighter, you're more likely to wake up. There's a greater degree of turbulence, mouth snoring, obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, the resistance to breathing is two and a half times greater breathing through your mouth and through your nose during sleep. So, yeah, it's just one thing we have to start doing. Mate, I think uh, when, I, when I did the course, Patrick, I was flaming blown away, mate, when we spoke about nasal breathing and all the benefits for adults, but then mm -hmm. being a father myself. I mean, I've got two kids. Mm -hmm. And then I walked out of there, mate, I was like, oh my god i've like i've scuppered my kids like you know what i mean they both had braces it was like oh no but i think what i found super interesting especially coming from that father aspect was when you started talking about kids who were being diagnosed with adhd and all yeah. this that, and the other uh, potentially yeah. if they're mouth breathers that could be a uh, play a major role oh, in it's that a huge factor if a child is diagnosed with sleep disorder breathing but untreated by the age of five they can have up to a 20% reduction in permanent mental capacity. There's a few statistics on it that are just absolutely frightening. And the sad thing is, most of these kids, it's, it's undiagnosed. And if it's diagnosed too often, they're put on medication and their breathing isn't addressed. And this paper, which was written by one as a dentist and the other as a medical doctor, they talk about 
healthcare professionals, they don't realize it can be easily addressed just by getting children breathe through their noses. And it sounds so simple. And maybe that's why, Ben, it's just too simple. I think you're right, mate. I think because it's uh, with something like that. Yeah, if you can instigate yourself at home, I think people tend to be a bit like, oh, it can't be that simple, surely. I need yeah. medication, I need this, that, and the other. Sometimes they need that label as well, Patrick, you know what I mean? Sure, and I think society has done it. If you go, you know, you travel to the States, you're looking at just constant barrage of advertising from pharmaceutical industries. So taking medication is normalized. That's the problem. Yeah. It's just like taking, you know, a bar of chocolate or something, take a pill, and uh, it's really, really being driven by big, major multinational companies. And I'm, I wasn't surprised to see Johnson & Johnson getting fined $600 million there about two weeks ago with their involvement with um, selling of opioid pills and drug pills that are contributing to addiction. And yeah. you know, I've just finished reading a book called Dope Sick, excellent written book written by a journalist in the United States. And when you really delve into what's happening there, there's really a crisis going on that needs to be addressed. And doctors are playing a role in it. Some doctors, the big farm is playing a role in it. And society, you know, if they really need, even at a governmental level, an involvement here. And Ben, this isn't new stuff. This has been going on for 16, 20 years. And it's not just isolated to North America. It's also in Canada. Um, less so here in Europe. We've more stringent laws on advertising of pharmaceutical. We don't see it. You know, when you're in the UK, if you're watching TV, you're not going to see drug after drug after drug being advertised. Yeah. yeah. So that makes a difference because it doesn't normalize it. And uh, yeah, I know we've, we've been off a bit off topic, but <laughs> that book, Dope Sick, it's pretty, pretty interesting and sad findings. I will definitely throw my eye over that, my mate. Flipping heck. Uh, so nasal breathing, thumbs yes. up, thumbs down. I switched 20 years ago. I'm a devotee. I'm absolutely converted. It totally changed my life. I was waking up exhausted for 15, 20 years. And by chance, I read it in a newspaper article and I went home that night, I put paper tape across my lips and I was so stuffed up. I also had a nasal dilator to open up my nose so I could breathe through it. And within about two days, I started waking up. It was the first time I absolutely woke up and I mean alert that I could concentrate. When we wake up in the morning, we should be able to concentrate on a complex piece of material. You know, you reading an article that's fairly complex and being able to, to hold your attention on it and follow it. And that's good concentration. Yeah. Uh, and for the listeners, when I did the course and also in the book, you speak about taping the mouth at night. Yes. And obviously, the, the, these certain parameters, these certain like, you know, don't do it with everybody. But I suggest you read the book. I started doing it and my background is combat sport. So my nose is a bit smashed up inside. You know, you must have been bad at it, were you? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I was like, mate, you don't look like this through being good at combat sport. Flipping that, mate. I got absolutely beat up, you know? Uh, but I used to, I started wearing uh, tape over my mouth after doing the, the course and reading the book with you. And flipping that, it was a game changer for me personally. Like, like snoring was abated, a waking up in the morning, like bright eyed and bushy tailed, like, woo! ready to get the day started it just made yeah. such a, a difference for me personally yeah. and yeah. again yeah. as i say don't 
do this, like listen to the podcast and be like, I'm going to take my mouth. There are certain parameters uh, that you have to sort of follow. And those are explained in the book. Is that, that that's correct? Isn't it, Patrick? Yeah. And decongest your nose. You can do it easily by just holding your breath. And this is new information. This has been written about first 1923. So say, for instance, if somebody has a stuffy nose, take a normal breath in through their nose, normal breath out through their nose, pinch their nose with their fingers and start walking around while holding the breath and keep going until you have medium to strong air hunger and then let go and breathe in through your nose. Wait 30 seconds, do it again, do it five or six times, your nose is free. Not suited for a female if she's pregnant. People with serious medical conditions, not suited, but other, otherwise it's only a breath hold. Yeah. Um, a breath hold after exhalation. And it's not known exactly how it works, but we know it works. I've used it with thousands of people. There's never any reason to have the mouth open, especially if it's due to rhinitis, whether it's hay fever or just a stuffy nose. You can open it up and you can decongest the nose without antihistamines, without nasal steroids. And the other thing about the nose is the more we breathe through it, the better it is. And one thing that I forgot is people often ask, what should I do, breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth? But if you breathe out through your mouth, you lose about 42% more moisture. So the wow. human body is, the nose is there to conserve water in the human body. And uh, if you're nasal breathing, you're less likely to be dehydrated. Nice, mate. And that is a bonus, eh? Absolutely. Especially if you've had an hard uh, night on the, uh, on the drink, you know? <laughs> you don't want to be dehydrated in the morning. <laughs> That's excellent, mate. So I, I'm going to say thumbs up for nasal breathing in a major way, my friend. Number two. In your book, The Oxygen Advantage, you talk about the Bolt score, Patrick, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously on course as well. What is it and what does it show? It's a breath hold time after exhalation. So you take a normal breath in and out through your nose. You pinch your nose with your fingers and you time it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe or the first involuntary movement of the breathing muscles. An easy way to think of it would be this way. You take a normal breath in and out, you pinch your nose, you hold your nose. And you're timing it. How long does it take for the brain to react to the breath hold? And it's the first distinct reaction of the brain. That's it. It measures the chemosensitivity of the body to the buildup of CO2. Uh, make that more simple. Carbon dioxide is coming from the cells into the blood. And carbon dioxide is the primary drive to breathe. The stimulus to breathe is an oxygen. And not, it's not a change in oxygen in the blood that's driving our each breath but it's an increase or an accumulation of carbon dioxide. So if you think of it this way then, if we go for a run and your cells are producing a lot more carbon dioxide, if you've got a strong sensitivity to the buildup of CO2, your breathing is going to be harder. So you're going to be more breathless. So you'll have disproportionate breathlessness for a given intensity or duration of physical exercise. So your breath toll time gives you feedback of How soon do you get breathless during physical exercise? And how breathless are you over a course of physical exercise? And the other thing about it, it gives you good feedback on whether you're breathing functionally or not. So the cutoff point is about 25 seconds. If you have less than 25 seconds, there's a good chance you're breathing dysfunctionally. And dysfunctional breathing, as I said, disproportionate breathlessness, wasting oxygen unnecessarily. You know, the consumption, the cost associated with breathing and also then functional movement is impacted and a greater risk of injury. It's really important. Athletes train everything. And I know sleep now is on the radar and that's good. And uh, breathing is next. Nice. And I think, do you know what, Patrick, to sort of put that into context and, and 
you can give me your thoughts on this, mate. As coaches and as personal trainers, when we get a client and they first start training with us and yeah. they are flaming, trying to breathe through the bum, you know, they are like blowing. <laughs> and you think, oh, this person's like super unfit. You know what I mean? But it yeah. may be because they are yeah. so sensitive to carbon dioxide. Would that be fair to yeah. say? Yeah, totally. You know, like when we've seen athletes of all levels, Olympic athletes, and their breath hold time 12 seconds. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, how on earth did they get a, a medal? And one guy in particular, he actually got a medal. And I was just thinking, like, to achieve that, to attain that level of fitness, he had to push his body to absolutely to the extremes. Because your training, your physical training isn't going to necessarily change your breathing. And it's your everyday breathing that's going to, to influence your breathing during physical training. And oftentimes, it's the lungs that set the limits. That yeah. feeling of intense breathlessness and the other thing is, up to 50% of athletes can experience diaphragmatic fatigue. The diaphragm breathing muscle gets tired due to over, overwork. And if that happens, blood is stolen from the legs to feed the diaphragm. And that's why we use sports mask, you know. I have a product that is very simple. You know, there's different products in the market. And that's the purpose of a mask like this. You're putting it on your face. You're breathing into it. You're breathing against resistance. And nasal breathing will do that to some good extent. The, the benefit of a mask is that there's increased dead space. And, you know, you're forced to breathe against resistance. But you go for a run with your mouth closed, you're adding an extra load onto your breathing muscle. That's helping to maintain diaphragmatic strength. And even just breathing efficiency, if I was to do some maths, when we take a breath of air into the nose, we have to consider how much of that air is getting into, into the small air sacs in the lungs. Because of each breath, 150 mil stays in dead space. So it stays in the nasal cavity, in the throat, in the bronchi, in the bronchioles, and it doesn't get down into the small air sacs. If you're breathing fast and shallow, a lot more air stays in dead space and doesn't get into the small air sacs. So if you want to optimize breathing efficiency, breathe slow but deep. And uh, with that, you can increase by changing the respiratory rate from 12 breaths, say, from, per minute during rest to six, you can increase breathing efficiency by 22%. And that's aside from what I spoke about earlier on. I know there are two 22%, but just by coincidence. That's crazy, mate. That's like, and it's not that, those are not small increases, my friend, you know what I mean? Oh, it's, it's significant, yeah, definitely. And this stuff, like, there's one researcher, an Italian cardiologist, who's writing about this for the last 20 years. And yet, none of the information seems to be out there. And he was looking at his patients, and they say he had chronic heart failure. Um, it's, it's very common, a symptom of chronic heart failure to have excessive breathlessness. And he asked the question, why are these patients breathing so hard during physical exercise? Is it because their breathing is, is hard due to the deterioration of the heart muscle? Or is it that they have a strong chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide buildup? So... He gave them slow breathing to reduce the chemosensitivity of their body to CO2. And as a result, when they do physical exercise, they, were, they had lighter breathing. So I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this podcast and they're just thinking to myself, that could be me. I'm going for a run. And uh, if I measure my breathing off my peers, my breathing is harder. And these guys could be training just as hard. And they'll find they plateau, their fitness levels will plateau. And no matter how they're training, you know, something is keeping them back. But they mightn't have just put their finger on it. They're not quite sure. 
a couple of suspect you know things that you could watch out for people who had some sort of exercise induced asthma as children always keep an eye on that um, because the genetic predisposition is there and breathing could be harder and others are people with tendencies towards anxiety panic disorder so they're the greatest groups for having dysfunctional breathing patterns but you know it can affect anybody of course but you know within anxiety it can be as high as 80 percent 80 percent of individuals with anxiety predisposed to breathing pattern disorders and it's not just that anxiety and stress changes our breathing but the breathing pattern is feeding back into anxiety and stress if you're breathing fast and shallow you're not going to be calm you can't be calm if your breathing during rest is fast and shallow because the fast and shallow breathing is keeping you stuck in that fight or flight response that's crazy mate so you get that feedback loop going on yes where it's like chicken or the egg sort of scenario am i anxious yeah. am i breathing like this because i'm anxious or am i yeah. anxious because i'm breathing like this yes i think yeah. that's crazy mate that's yeah. uh, that sort of stuff when you start to think about it, you're like mate what all because i'm just like breathing <laughs> a certain way he's crazy yeah, it's, it's like the breathing is that function of the body that we have control over and it influences so many other different functions you know it's amazing when you really start tapping into it that's crazy mate so as far as like like my background as i said before is combat sport and that's affecting my nose and stuff but what I find interesting about the nasal breathing and all that sort of stuff and like keying it back into the bolt score, which yes. is testing your sensitivity for carbon dioxide, is every combat sport, or not everyone, but the majority of combat sport, no matter how long the round, you get one minute. One yes. minute to recover maximally in yeah. between the next round. And there's no like, oh, just give us another five seconds. You know, it's like, you have got a minute, that's it. Yes. So would you yeah, say yeah. that nasal breathing and improving your bolt score, which decreases your sensitivity to carbon dioxide, would, would that improve your recovery rate as well? It's going to be because you're not going to be wasting as much, much energy unnecessarily. Like if you look at athletes who gas out, those guys have poor breath all the time. Look, Conor McGregor, I look at his breathing during interviews and you'll see him, I think he's doing, making a comeback now um, in the next few months. but watch his breathing at a press conference when he's not after having a fight you know we're we're speaking here and our breathing is undetectable and here's a top end athlete and you can see his breathing and he's fast upper chest breathing now if i see that in any individual during rest that's going to translate into excessive breathlessness during physical exercise it's no coincidence that he's gasping out too soon but of course it's not being spotted you know, it's not being picked up on. This is just one of those things. I was giving a talk to a football team and a number of guys around the boardroom table, strength and conditioning coach was there, manager was there. It was about six players there. And I was just wondering, what's the best way I can get this across? And I turned around to one of the players and I said, your breathing, I said, is holding you back. And I explained, you're sighing, you're caught for breath during rest, your breathing is fast, it's upper chest. And uh, you're going you're gonna to be feeling this out in the football field. And afterwards, that was within two minutes of the meeting. Afterwards, the strength and conditioning coach came over. He says, we couldn't believe that you picked up on this because that's the guy who's running out of air. And I said, like, it's normal. It's normal stuff because your breathing doesn't automatically change when you do physical exercise. If anything, it's going to get worse. 
Yeah. So the bowl score would be an interesting one for combat sports, but there's another one that's called the maximum breathlessness test. It measures what's your upper limit of tolerance of breathlessness. So you take a normal breath in through your nose, normal breath out, pinch your nose, hold your nose, and you count how many paces can you hold your breath for. And the goal is to achieve about 80 to 100 paces. And a lot of athletes will be 30 and 40. So that can all be improved. And how do you improve it? Change your everyday breathing. As you said, get your mouth closed at night. Don't have your mouth open for six or eight hours because all it is is a leak of, ox- well, a leak of carbon dioxide. But it's, it's also going to impact on your everyday breathing. And of course, your sleep. If you're waking up feeling tired, you're not going to have that alertness. Excellent. So we spoke about like the bolt score and stuff and to improve it, you're just saying like, be aware of your, of your breathing, be aware of you, that you're not mouth breathing at night. And one mm-hmm. way to sort of do that is to take the mouth at night. Yeah. And other things that you could be doing is even practicing slowing down your breathing. Say for instance, for intra-abdominal pressure, you can gauge intra-abdominal pressure by lateral expansion and contraction of the lower two ribs yeah. because it takes it takes the IAP to push push out the ribs and to allow them to contract so say for instance you're having your hands at your lower two ribs and as you breathe in you should gently allow the ribs moving out and as you breathe out you should gently allow the ribs moving in and then you can go one step further as you're doing it slow down your breathing so that you're only taking about six breaths per minute so you're breathing in for a count of four seconds and you're breathing out for a count of six seconds. And then you can go one step further is to breathe so light almost that you feel that you're not getting enough air to allow carbon dioxide build up in the blood. So you could do three things in the one exercise. Deep for functional breathing, for improved intra-abdominal pressure. Slow breathing to bring and influence the autonomic nervous system. So a cadence of six breaths per minute is optimal for stimulating what's called the baroreceptors, but basically pressure receptors inside the major blood vessels. And these pressure receptors are monitoring your blood pressure. And if, if there's an increase in your blood pressure, pressure receptors detect it, and it sends a message to the brain, and the brain will automatically send a message to the blood vessels to dilate, to, to normalize blood pressure. But if there's reduced sensitivity of the baroreceptors, it's not a good sign of health. And individuals who were either physically unwell or emotionally unwell, poor aerobic fitness, they've reduced functioning of the baroreceptors. And we can stimulate them and exercise them by six breaths per minute. That's going to be tied in then with vagus nerve and diaphragmatic breathing to activate that. Taking people out of sympathetic tone, if they're in too much sympathetic tone, helping them to recover. And also stress, you know, if you're stressed out, any of us who've had a really, really stressful day, you, you know when you go to sleep that night, you're twisting and turning and all that stuff that's going on during the day is running through your head and uh, you're going to wake up like a zombie anyway. This is again where slow breathing can come in. So uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a difference. So I'd say to people, just try practicing that exercise. Have your hands, your lower two ribs, and as you breathe in, not to push and pull, but as you breathe in, just guide your lower two ribs gently move out. And as you breathe out, just guide the lower two ribs to gently move in. And then do a cadence of breathing in for about four seconds and breathing out for six seconds. And then really breathe so light that you feel a tolerable air hunger 
And the tolerable air hunger is telling you that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood. And carbon dioxide, not just a waste gas. As you slow down your breathing and carbon dioxide increases, you'll change your body temperature. And so your blood circulation is influenced by the level of CO, the pressure of CO2 in the blood. And we have 70,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. We can open up our blood vessels by breathing light. And the other thing is, ironically, Ben, the Bohr effect discovered back in 1904. And basically, the Bohr effect says, for red blood cells to release oxygen to the cells, it's released in the presence of carbon dioxide. Now, how many yoga studios have you looked in the door and you're seeing big breath in and a big breath out and a big breath in and a big breath out and get rid of all of that carbon dioxide? Uh, somebody should start telling the instructor that carbon dioxide, if you want to get more oxygen to the cells, you'd want to be holding on to that carbon dioxide. The instructor should be telling the opposite. They should be saying, slow down your breathing, breathe light, breathe deep, conserve your CO2, because that's what's going to be the catalyst for oxygen to be released to the cells. I like that. Once I, when I did the course and read the book, and I did the, uh, I looked at the Bohr effect, and we we put that in DTS level one. We have some of the Bohr effect and the nasal breathing, the benefits. We do like a full breath clinic. And I just found it so interesting where it was like, you need CO2 in order mm -hmm. to release oxygen from the hemoglobin. Yeah. The more oxygen that gets released, the more oxygen there is that's available to be absorbed by the cells. And yes. I was like, mate, so carbon dioxide is not just a waste gas, which I, I was a little bit blown away by. Literally, yes. literally blown yeah. away. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah, I wasn't here giving out about yoga, but it's so common you know, I'm, I've been doing this for 20 years. And the one question that comes up over and over and over and over and over is, my yoga teacher wouldn't agree with what you're saying because my yoga teacher wants us to be taking full big breaths. And all I say to people is, listen, try this for two weeks. Try slowing down your breathing with a light air hunger. And can you change your autonomic nervous system? Increased watery saliva in the mouth in a few minutes feeling drowsy, so you're going into a parasympathetic tone, feeling warmer, and also do it for 15 minutes before sleep. All you're doing is just gently slowing down the breath, softening the breath, not taking as much air into the body, really slowing down the speed of the breath coming into the nose, slowing down the speed of the breath leaving the nose, and that's the best way. Breath work, see what effect it gives you pretty quickly. Yeah, I think for me personally, like I'd experience it with the clients and I'm sure that, if, that every single person who's a trainer and listening to this podcast, how many clients do you have that are stressed out? You know what I mean? So if we can flip those people from that sympathetic response into mm -hmm. the parasympathetic response, you talk about guiding them towards the goals, whether it be uh, fat loss, whether it be muscle gain, whatever the overall objective is, if mm. we can start to maximize recovery, maximize sleep, like everything will normalize, talk about maximizing the diaphragmatic breathing, when we talk about in creating intra-abdominal pressure, because like Paul Check said, you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. Do you see what I mean? So you've got, to, uh, you've got to make sure that you're creating that intra-abdominal pressure with your clients and a correct breathing pattern, both nasally and diaphragmatically, is going to accomplish that. So I think that's, uh, that's phenomenal stuff, mate. We've already spoke about the importance of, uh, of CO2. 
in the body. But just to sort of like revisit that, Patrick, what is the big thing behind CO2 not being just a waste gas? I mean, you're like a, a, a research phenomenon. You've got papers to back up, papers to back up everything that you say. Or uh, it's the time now to, to read them. Yeah, it's, it's, it, CO2 performs a number of important functions. The first you could say is it's the primary regulator of blood pH. So blood pH must be 7.365. If it's too alkaline, 7.8 cells die. If it's too acidic, to 6.8 cells die. And it's through our breath that we get rid of about 10,000 milli equivalents of acid per day. So people often talk about diet and food and don't eat acidic food or acidic forming food and eat more alkaline. And that's all very well. But really, it's the conservation of the breath which is going to maintain blood pH. If we breathe too hard, we go into a state of respiratory alkalosis because blood pH is increasing too much. And that this excites the central nervous system. There's increased excitability for individuals who are in pain, for instance, they're more likely to have muscle tension, muscle fatigue, increased lactic acid, because if you're breathing too hard, you're getting rid of too much carbon dioxide and there's not enough oxygen getting to the cells. So you're going to go anaerobically quicker. And the other thing is, if you're breathing too hard in the long term, you've got reduced buffering capacity because the kidneys have dumped bicarbonate. And that's related to your breathing. And now with reduced buffering capacity, you're also going to go into increased lactic acid. Mm. So if you think of, say, in the extreme, I think this is a good measure of resilience, Ben. Yeah. People would say, for example, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia. Their system has been very much depleted. One paper that was published there in in Scandinavia in 2013, it looked at the relationship between hyperventilation syndrome and exhaustion syndrome. And they found that people with exhaustion syndrome, and a lot, a lot of them are due to corporate burnout, that it was 100% that they were hyperventilating, that they were breathing too hard. Now, if you're in that state of chronically hyperventilating, you're really in a state of fight or fight, you're, you're going to diminish your resources very quickly, your sleep is impacted. If your sleep is not right, you're not going to be recovering for the following day. And we can just make simple changes to breathing. And this is where the bold score can come in. People just measure it. Take a normal breath in, normal breath out, pinch your nose, hold your nose, and time it. How long does it take until you feel the first definite desire to breathe? And if you're above 25 seconds, you're doing pretty well. You're doing all right, you know. Like the goal is, of course, 40 seconds. Does everybody reach it? No. But uh, you get 25, 30 seconds, early 30s in towards the 40, you're, you're doing good. Nice, nice. I think, I think that's outstanding, my mate. Uh, so this is a big area, Patrick. This podcast could last about eight <laughs> hours, you know what I mean? Like minimum. Flipping heck. And, sure. I just, oh, and when you start talking and you're like, and this research paper, and I'm like, flipping it this is cool stuff do you know what i mean and sometimes it can get a little like wow there is a lot of stuff to take in but what are the top three things a coach or trainer can work on with the clients the top three for you patrick i'd say start off with the warm-up only do nasal breathing during a warm-up you never have to have your mouth open during a warm-up no reason if the athletes or if the individuals are your normal your normal individual off the street if they can do breath-holding, do breath-holding with them. It's a very good stimulus to the body. 
and you could start off easy like so this this would suit say individuals if the female is not pregnant um individuals with normal health if they don't have high blood pressure they don't have cardiovascular issues etc take a normal breath into your nose normal breath out through your nose pinch your nose hold your nose start walking holding your breath and then go into a light jog and go into a faster jog and then let go but calm down your breathing for at least 15 seconds afterwards. Take hardly any air into your lungs. So you're feeling that air hunger. And you'll find out your nose will open up, your lungs will open up, because we've been using it with asthma for years. You'll also have increased blood flow to the brain. So if I'm doing, say, pre-competition, working with an athlete, I'll have them do slow breathing for about 15 minutes first to calm them, to center them, to bring them into the present moment, and um, if there's any anxiety there, to help alleviate that. But they're too relaxed. So the slow breathing is great for focus, but it, they're too relaxed. Then I have them do five strong breath holds, and that takes them out of that relaxed state into a drive, but it also increases blood flow to the brain, and they're more alert now. And breath holding, the other thing is spleen contraction. So your spleen is your blood bank located under the diaphragm. And it contains about 200 to 300 mil of densely rich red blood cells, very high quality red blood cells. And if you do five strong breath holds, your spleen will release red blood cells into circulation. And it takes about 60 minutes for the spleen to reabsorb that. So if you have an athlete just before a game, do five strong breath holds and it increases the amount of your aerobic capacity and it can last for up to 60 minutes. So I think small little tips like this can be great in terms of improving performance, looking for that incremental gain. That's fantastic, mate. I think the uh, increase in somebody's VO2 max yes. just by breath holding prior yeah. to the game is crazy, mate. I, yes. I, did, uh, I actually did a presentation and I did uh, some of the simulated high altitude training that you cover um, yeah. on the Oxygen Advantage course. And my, my blood oxygen saturation levels dropped i think they dropped to below well they definitely dropped below 70 percent. i think it was about 67 percent uh, oxygenation levels from like 95 96 percent i yes, did nearly yeah. pass out patrick right but i feel like I, apparently i was about halfway up that would be the equivalent of being about halfway up everest yeah it would and more <laughs> um yeah there's always a risk if you go below 60 percent the risk of passing out we always kind of put the goal of trying to get down to about 85% SpO2. So in other words, the saturation of your, your, how fully loaded is your hemoglobin with oxygen? You know, to bring it down, as you say, from 96, 97%, down to about 85%, that's a great stimulus. That's where you'll get the splenic contraction. Also, your kidneys become hypoxic. The liver, to a lesser extent, will synthesize the hormone erythropoietin or EPO. And it takes, after an increase of EPO or synthesis of EPO, it takes about three to four days for red blood cells to mature. And that can increase oxygen carrying capacity. But if you look, there was a paper that came out in 2018 looking at repeated sprintability in rugby. And these guys were 21 years of age during their peak season. They gave them breath holding. So you take a normal breath in, normal breath out, pinch your nose, hold sprint for 40 meters with the breath held 30 second recovery do it again 30 second recovery do it again eight reps 
two sets per week. And in four weeks, their repeated sprintability increased from nine to 14 point something. There was a 33% increase wow. in their repeated sprintability in four weeks. The control group, no improvement. And these guys are elite rugby union players and repeated sprintability is like MMA to, to some extent. It's all out effort with a very brief recovery. Yes. And team sports, repeated sprintability is a very good indicator of performance because you, you don't know, you're like, okay, with, with, with combat sports, you're going to get a minute's rest. And I suppose the intensity is full on for long, for most of the, you know, the rounds throughout. But with team sports, repeated sprintability is a very good indicator of performance. How many times can an athlete go all out with very brief recovery and continuously do that before exhaustion? And uh, to increase that 33% in athletes who are already highly trained, it's great. But yet, nobody knows. It's, the paper is buried. It's in the literature, but is it getting into the hands of strength and conditioning coaches? I'd love to see it. The paper is by a guy called Wurons, a French researcher. And uh, yeah, I think it was the Australian national football team that he was um, he was working with. I'm not Slippy sure neck. Sure on that, but they were rugby union anyway. Thirty three percent is a massive. That is not a little increase. So for the coaches out there, we've got nasal breathing, being aware that your client is always nasally breathing as much as is humanly possible. So as you say, in the warm up specifically, uh, yeah. if you can get them to do it outside of the training session as well. Do some of the trainings with the mouth closed. Yeah. It's a bit tougher. It's adding an extra load. But you want the body to adapt to being able to cope with that increased buildup of CO2. Like that other paper that was um, looking at athletes who were trained for six months with nasal breathing. The CO2 in their blood was 44 millimeter of mercury pressure from 40 when they were breathing through their nose. But they were well able to cope with that. So that's a really great increase there because of course when you've got a higher co2 in the blood you get improved oxygen delivery to the cells you're staying aerobically for longer and um, you're less likely to go anaerobic and it's it's really about becoming clever with it no athlete wants to change their routine by all that much but if i'm looking at somebody i'm saying well how do you do your warm-up what can we do there how do you what do you do during your practice sessions what can we do there your recovery you know, and also, how can you bring this into your everyday way of life? You, you carry your bet with you 24-7, and I think it's really good to pay attention to it. And for training the brain, because we have a very agitated society, increasingly so, especially with the likes of social media, text messaging, emails, and the mind is continuously being distracted. And I know you're based in that great country of Canada there, so you're aware of You'll be aware of Microsoft's study that was conducted back in 2002. And I think they looked at the attention span of about 3,000 Canadians. And uh, they found that their attention span in 2002 was about 12 seconds. And they went back and they did the same research in 2012. And the attention span had reduced to 8 seconds. It was a 25% reduction in attention span in 10 years. And they said... A problem because a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds and if you think about it our attention span is our ability to hold our attention exclusively on a subject matter without distraction that's yeah. focus and that's concentration 
any walk of life, no matter what we do, we absolutely need the ability to hold our attention on whatever we are doing. If the mind is continuously distracted, our ability to focus is reduced and our performance is going to be affected. And focusing on the breath, bringing your attention out of the mind onto your breathing, you're training the brain to be concentrated, to be focused. Because if the mind wanders off, you're going to bring it back onto the breath. So it's almost that you're putting the mind on a leash and yeah. you're getting control of the mind. How many people in the Western world have control of the mind? How many people have control over their phones? It seems that their phone is in to total control over them and the mind is in total control over them. Yeah, I would agree with that, my mate. Flipping heck, it's like, as soon as you... These phones going off all over the place, you know what I mean? <laughs> so as far as the one thing, the one thing that clients, not trainers, but a client could focus on or that a trainer could make a client or make a client aware of would be that being very conscious of the breathing, always try to make it nasal. Yes, so, always try to make it nasal. Even like if you're a recreational athlete, what's the point of mouth breathing? Think about mouth breathing. It's fast, shallow breathing. It's uneconomical. It reduces oxygen uptake. It's not increasing necessarily CO2 in the blood. It's causing the, the, the upper airways and the lower airways to dry out. If the airways dry out, they constrict. It just doesn't make sense. And people talk about using the diaphragm and diaphragmatic breathing. You hear it often. But who's talking about the nose? Because diaphragmatic breathing is essential with nasal breathing it's the nose that's connected with the diaphragm breathing muscle and the lower intercostals the mouth is connected with the chest so if you're breathing through the mouth all you have to do is look down you see what where whereabouts in the body is it moving so you know if you, somebody going to a gym um, somebody doing light physical exercise maintain nasal breathing and both during exercise during sleep during rest you're sitting in a chair you've got a few minutes to yourself bring your attention onto the breath and really, really slow down the breath to the point of a tolerable air hunger. And it's the tolerable air hunger that's the key. And do that for three or four minutes and see what changes happen in the body. I think that's fantastic, mate. So it's just like just being inside the training session, be aware of, uh, of the nasal breathing, be aware of that diaphragmatic action, even incorporate some of the breath holding techniques to, yes. uh, to improve VO2 max, which is excellent. It's not as if you've got a, you're training for months and months and months and months. That's something that you could instigate almost straight away. And then for the clients to be aware of inside the training session, outside of the training session as well whether they're sleeping yes. whether they're sitting whatever it is that walking down the street just be aware that you're always conscious of nasal breathing yes. and when people talk about you patrick and they say as you said there oh i'm bringing my attention to my breathing i'm making sure that i'm nasally breathing then that in itself people are so wrapped up in all the mindful not wrapped yes. up but like mindfulness and it has to be a very focused time but if you just yeah. focus on your breathing then it that yes. in itself makes you present in, and living in the moment. Is yes. that right? Absolutely. If your attention is out of the mind on the breath, you're not going to be thinking and focusing on the breath at the same time. There is, of course, a likelihood that you have your attention on your breathing and the mind wanders. And that's always at the start. You know, you bring your attention back, the mind wanders, you bring your attention back. But with practice, you know, you start to notice that you've got gaps between thoughts. 
that your ability to bring yourself into stillness improves. Um, it's almost that there's a muscle in the brain and you can tap into that just by bringing your attention into it and bring yourself into present moment awareness by doing it frequently throughout the day. It has been an absolutely tremendous tool in my life and it has to be an absolutely tremendous tool in many, many people's lives. When you see the surge of awareness of the, the work of different authors, Eckhart Tolle, for example, based in Vancouver, one of the best books ever written, published ever, is The Power of Now. You know, this is all, none of this is new information, Ben. This information is forming the foundations of pretty much all major religions, mm. including Christianity. But I think the message got lost because really it's about connecting with life around us and not living in our heads. And I spent too many years mouth breathing, hard breathing, fast breathing, all my attention wrapped up in my mind. You know, like if you're going around with all of your attention stuck in your head, you're not seeing anything that's going on around you because you're not living life. You're living stuck in your head. How many people walk down a street? They don't see the street. They don't see the kids playing. They're not seeing the sights. They're not feeling the sunshine on the back of their head. They're feeling nothing because they're all so self-absorbed and wrapped up in thought. And it's not a criticism. This should be taught to schools because yeah. education teaches us how to think. It teaches us how to reason, to decipher information, to break it up into tiny pieces. We're gave the tools to think, but we are not given the tools to stop thinking. We don't have control over the mind. And if you look at the people who die by suicide, that's when the loss of thought activity has gone to an absolute extreme with irrational thinking. And it's, it's a state now that I think there's going to be a problem with mental health. Not going to be. It's here. But just watch this space. Watch where it's going. Because this is not reducing um, with the next generations coming up. I think maybe it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I hope that uh, stillness of the mind, bringing attention into the present moment, focusing on the breath as a means of stilling the mind, that it, it really does become part of most people's way of life. Mate, I think um, we get into grips with the idea that, that breathing is, a, as you know at DTS, fitness education, yes. we focus very much on the, the fundamentals and I think breathing falls directly into the foundation of absolutely everything that we need to focus on. And you know that if you build the house on, uh, on sand, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to collapse. So I think yeah. breathing is a, is a key piece, mate. It's been phenomenal, that, Patrick. What's, uh, what's going on with you at the moment? What's new with, with Patrick? New with me is just, I suppose, the travel agenda. I came in from Japan yesterday. I'm here for two days. I go to Denmark. Um, the sports mask has been a great help in terms of we needed something visually in terms of breathing because I think it was just one of those things. How do you explain what you do? People want to hold something, feel something. So now part of our training with oxygen advantages, we do a lot with wearing the mask. Yeah. And it's adding an extra load on to the guys as well and the gals, you know, they feel it. I've got a new tape coming out for kids. We've always had an issue with pediatrics. What can we do in terms of getting nasal breathing? So I've developed a tape which is safe 
that won't be covering the mouth itself but surrounding the mouth and getting lip closure and there's no risk because we've always had that issue what would happen if a child was to get sick and we absolutely want to restore nasal breathing with children but we also need to do it without risk and um, there's a belt as well for functional movement so i suppose there's products coming out in terms of supporting and we've now it's 106 instructors on the ground for oxygen advantage and then with Buteco, i think it's close to 400. so i think it's really happening and the book has gone into 14 languages so the next language that it's going into is korean wow it's gone into chinese and taiwanese in japan like i gave some talks to 100 people there and every one of them had a copy of the book it's incredible and of course, at the end of it, signing it, I didn't get out for about an hour and a half after each talk. <laughs> That's fine. I loved every bit of it. You know, it was great. It was great. I felt like a king. Um, it's amazing, <laughs> a, a culture. You know, it's it's absolutely incredible. I come out of Japan. I says, "Oh my God, this is absolutely an incredible country." You're looking around. You're seeing all of the the stuff that we use all the time, different brands. And you're just saying, "This is one country that has produced so many of these brands." The intellect of these people is at an extraordinary level. It's fantastic. I'm really, I know that when I did the course and when I read the book, it was a, it was a massive eye-opener for me personally. So I can't tell you how, how happy I am to hear that things are going from strength to strength, mate. And sure, um, sure. anybody who's listening, obviously all the links are going to be in the description. We'll have a, a link to the uh, Oxygen Advantage book if you're interested in the course, if you're interested in the mask, like all these different components. And you look cool in the mask because you look like Bane. You look like Bane when you've got it on, which is superb. I, that interests me more than anything else. <laughs> so now is the time. Now is the time, Patrick. For the, This is the section you've been waiting for. I know Jeez, you've been I, excited. Uh, this is going to be the fun part. This is it. Who would win a fight between a great white shark and a saltwater croc, and why? I'd have to put myself in the position of who would I rather be, the great white or the saltwater. I think I'd go for the great white, because I could swim off as quick as possible, and to hell with the fight. (laughs) (laughs) That is the best one. That's the best one, that Patrick. I'm like, I'm going. See you later. That's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Patrick, it is always a pleasure to speak to you. You always blow your mind, mate, with like the research. And the, it's like you have so many things backing up what you're saying. I think it's crazy. But such a, a simple area of focus that we can control. You know what I mean? So Definitely. it's always brilliant to speak to you. I'm going to finish it like this, Patrick. Go, Patrick McKeown. That's so many, Ben. Thanks very much. Great talk. Enjoyed it immensely. That was the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. You can follow us on social media or visit us at dtsfitnesseducation.com for more knowledge applied. Remember, there's a new episode weekly. So thanks for listening and go DTS Fitness Education!